Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Splash Weather Repel Premium Windshield Wash features a three-in-one formula that repels rain, sleet, snow, and bugs while leaving a streak-free shine. It keeps you seeing safely all year long. Pick up some at Walmart today. See safely on the road when you apply a little splash. And now another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. That doesn't sound good. Paper shredder's jammed, but I think I fixed it. Oh, well, try shredding these $50 bills then. Seems like it's working. Mm, better try another 400 bucks. Stop. Instead of using money, use regular paper. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. Don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary. Greetings one and all, and welcome to Moments That Rock, a proud member of the Pantheon group of podcasts. I'm your host, Tony Mike Leavis. I spent three decades working in the music industry, running my own PR company, and working as a publicist. For you 2 The Police, Depeche Mode, David Bowie, New Order, Peter Gabriel, Genesis, blah, 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 blah. If you want to know more, feel free to visit my website at www.tonymikeleavis.com. Each week, we'll strive to bring you a cornucopia of musical delights, all based around storytelling. There's archive interviews from back in my radio days with the likes of the Ramones, Steve Winwood, the Cramps, U2, etc, etc. We also have some great stories from some industry insiders. Right, intro done, on with the show. Welcome to the bit where we plunder the archives and dig deep and find interviews from way back then. And today's Way Back Then is part two of an interview I did with Joey and Dee Dee from the Ramones from 1988. Sadly, both those guys have passed away since. So together with the memories, it's tinted with a little bit of sadness. The Ramones are a great band. You were always, well... I say always, you were, in your heyday, popular without actually being fashionable, isn't that true? Yes, we rejected um, fashion. When the, when the punk rock scene really caught on, like we didn't cut our hair short, and um, like 
a lot of the groups look great, like the Sex Pistols really dress good and everything. But we didn't want to dress like that because we started out as an anti-glitter group. We were, it was our reaction to glitter, but, which is strange because we were very big fans of glitter. But then it just got ridiculous where the Allman Brothers started going to Granny Takes a Trip and buying glitter jackets. And, you know, it was like, um, who's that guy who stars in Oh God, that country western singer? Never mind. <laughs> he he started dressing up in glitter too. Oh, the John Denver. John Denver, <laughs> right? <laughs> John Denver started dressing up in glitter, so we had to do something different. You know, we put on leather jackets and jeans. You've been listening to Way Back Then, a podcast featuring archive interviews and fireside chats with music industry veterans. On today's podcast. Joey and Dee Dee from the Ramones, an interview that dates back to 1986. And here's some more. A lot of our sort of most successful bands from the mid to late 70s, like the Pistols, the Buzzcocks, the Clash, they all seem to burn themselves out. I mean, the, the, the Stranglers are back, but they're a very different act. The Buzzcocks, sadly, no longer. They're probably just out to make money now. You know, they're getting old and they're ready to retire and they're trying to make a buck. But I, I think they're good. You know, I like their new single, but I, it is soft. You know. Well, we made a we made a hard album. Our album is hard. You know, and um, we you know like going back to producing. Like we we may have used a lot of producers, but now we've learned how to produce ourselves. And so, like, every song, like, whoever writes the song, the person in the band sort of produces the song, too, you know, like... There's much more involvement with the band as you all yeah, contribute bits I of writing. I sit right behind the board when they do one of my songs, you know, and I, I sit through the mixing, and so does Joey. He, he puts all his ideas into the songs, and we know what we're doing now. We're very, you know, we really know what we're doing. Well, that's nothing wrong with confidence. Um, Joey, can I ask you, you're saying like um, we were talking about producing, and of course Dave Stewart has produced Howling at the Moon. Now this was in fact because he was a Ramones fan, not because you wanted a, a popular British pop star to produce you, correct? Right. No, he's, he's been a fan of us for years. Matter of fact, he, him and Annie had a band, 77 The Taurus, which were very reminiscent of the Ramones, you know. And uh, he just... He had heard the song and he wanted it. He he liked the song. It was, I guess, his personal favorite, you know. And uh, he wanted to get involved, and he he just did it, you know, because he didn't he didn't ask for any payment of any sort, you know. He just did it because uh, he wanted to do it, you know. And so you know, we we had a meeting to see, you know, if we liked his ideas and this and that, and you know, we thought it, it you know, we thought the guy's great, you know. I mean, he had matter of fact. His initial ideas, you know, like, he he wanted us to sound like the Ramones. He didn't want us to sound like anything else, or the Eurythmics, or Dave Stewart, or whatever. And, um, you know, he wanted it to be very stark and yet very dynamic, which it is. It, it starts off very stark, but then it explodes when the guitar comes in. And, you know, it's I think it's great. And it was fun to work with him, and he's, he's a good guy, and... Uh, He's very worldly, you know. He's very talented, you know. Do you think it was the right first single to put off the album to reintroduce people to the Ramones or maybe get some new fans? I don't know, but um, it was real successful in America in L on LIR 
it got to number one on the station's playlist, and um, it was it won Screamer of the Week over all the big groups. It's it's hard to win that contest, and we won it. And uh, every city we'd go to, we'd turn on the radio, and there it would be. And um, that was really nice. But now they're putting out Chase in the Night, and maybe maybe that's the single. You know, we we don't really know, but we're gonna play it now. Tom Dilemma, I've always thought, could well be a good little single. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I like that one. Um, you were uh, talking then, Dee Dee, about American radio, and uh, there's so many sort of college radio stations, etc., etc. Now, what about MTV in the States? It's so important. How do they take to guys like you? They don't like us. They don't t- take well to us. You know, they, they banned our video. But you're white. Well... They, it, that doesn't matter. They're, they're prejudiced against us anyway, and they banned our video, and I don't You like did make it. a dodgy video in the past, though, didn't you? Do you think they're a bit wary of, of, you know, your past? Well, they they are two-faced. They, they invite you to their parties, and they send you tapes and everything and try and be all buddy-buddy, but then they only play your video at 6 o'clock in the morning when everybody's sleeping. You know, they're into the, they're into safe, you know, the safe, sterile things, you know. They're into Kenny things they can, they can package, like Billy Idol and Madonna and, you know, and then, you know, and all the, the English bands, all these synthesizer bands, you know, they like safe things, you know. You know, they're, maybe they're threatened by us, I don't know, but, uh, I mean, I, I felt if anybody should get behind us, it, w- it would be MTV, because I felt they were sort of doing something, rev- you know, something new, and they, I mean, and um, I sort of, in a, in a sense, it was almost like, you know, sort of like the BBC, in a sense, where it bridges the country together, I mean, even though you guys only, ha- you know, limited it with the radio, but that, but that's cool, because I also thought that was good, because everybody gets to hear everything, you know, and they can make up their own minds if they want to buy it or not, or they want to get into it or not, you know, but, you know, like America's so stretched out this everything is regional but mtv bridged the country together you know and and it's the perfect place to expose new talent or ideas or something but they 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 didn't do it they just you know played it safe and you know but at least you do have the choice in america with the radio don't you? i always thought you would have been quite popular on on the college radio circuit we we we're very popular on our, our album's number seven and yeah. Rolling Stone well, it, on it the came, chart. It came in number two, and when it you know first was released, you know, and that's great. You know, I mean, you know, we were in heavy on heavy airplay on the college stations, and then they have alternative stations, you know, and we you know getting really good airplay on the alternative station, but not too much on the on the mainstream stations. So, so everything is, uh, and, you know, the everything is sort of uh, they have. 10 plays, you know, like the major, the foreigners and stuff, and, you know, and, and everything's in a rotation on the hour, so you just keep hearing the same thing, wham, and, you know, and um, same crap. So you're here doing your four London nights, and uh, Tuesday sees the whistle test, which I should imagine is quite important to you. Um, After that, you're going to Europe, is that right, Didi? Yes, well, Joey and I are going to Paris for a little vacation. Oh, just the two of you? Yeah, and uh, we're sending John home. (laughs) That sounds as though they need a vacation Uh, back home. 
Christ. And then what, um, you said you were going to possibly come back in June, I mean... Uh, oh, we are. We're coming back in June. We're going to do some festivals in Britain, and uh, we'll do a lot of dates, you know. I, the talk, uh, well, it's, you know, it's sort of up in the air, but our, our um, promoter here, John Giddings, he was mentioning maybe we're going to do uh, some festivals with U2 or something like that. Well, it shouldn't be a bad thing. I mean, they've got a fairly uh, massive following. I think we should follow. have a, the same kind of audience as them. They're well, the thing about U2 fans is I don't think they're partisan. They're not going to say, like, get off the Ramones, we want U2. They're going to give you your fair share, and, and you can win them over. It's a massive audience. Oh, that doesn't happen, I don't think. <laughs> that don't... You know, we always go over pretty well. No, but some bands, I think, uh, they we don't want to see play somebody that. playing with their heroes, we, do they? We even played for the um, the US Festival, and it was like uh, 750,000 people, all Fleetwood Mac fans, and they loved us. You know, like um, I don't. It was we 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 were, once people see us, they like us. You know. Well, listen, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I'm sure you've got plenty of things to do and plenty of other people to talk to. Thanks very much. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you. Way Back Then is part of Moments That Rock, where we dig deep into the archives, dust them down and deliver them. More archive interviews next week. There's a whole bunch of rock stars who work behind the scenes, and they have some great stories. Insider Insights takes you inside their world for their stories and their rock star moments. Today's guest is Paul Conroy, talking to you about his illustrious career in the music industry. This is part two. If you go back and look at uh, earlier podcasts, you'll find part one. Well worth listening to. So let's pop back in and listen to Paul talk about that little known combo called the Spice Girls. Obviously, coming from the school of pub rock and getting to know the artists and things, and then, you know, Elvis Costello right from the start and things like that. And then the Spice Girls and things. I mean, I suppose it's, it really helps when you start your label, when you've kind of got that school of artist development behind you and you've kind of been there and done it. So you know how to nurture and guide um, the artist. Did you effectively manage and have, be the label with those people? Um, well, I think they always looked at me and my experience that I had working with different artists. I didn't manage at, at, at that time, but I, what, what, what was I at Virgin? I was the managing director, stroke president, and, um, you know, they all came to me with their sub stories. And, I mean, for me, it was Tony Gordon who managed, um, who managed George Michael came to me one day and said, as he did very often, he wanted to get his royalty check early so he could get his commission. And in best uh, practice, which is really what I picked up off Dave Robinson, I said, so, Tony, what's happening? I won't do my Dave Robinson accent, but I said, Tony, what's happening? You know, anything else out there? He said, well, I've been approached to manage these girls um, and... uh, I don't think I'm going to get them. I think they're really good, though. Uh, I think Simon Fuller's going to manage them. And they're called the Spice Girls. So I went up to Ashley Newton in the A&R department and said, do you know about these girls called the Spice Girls? Because I've just heard from Tony Gordon, they're really good. Should we get them in? And that's where the story started with the Spice Girls. And the rest is history. Um, and at the, at the point we got them in, they came and see Ashley and I. 
and they sort of performed and Jerry sat on my lap and <laughs> um, and that was the end of that um, and I having oh, I was working with Ray Cooper as my right hand man and I said to Ashley we should get Ray over for this and Ray came over and saw, saw the perform as well and uh, that's where we um, we had to do a dog and pony show to sign them um, and we had to prove to Simon Fuller that we were going to be uh, Virgin was going to be a good enough label uh, to to break them in America because Simon's view was always to break them worldwide and uh, that's the start of the story of the Spice Girls. Yeah I mean I suppose like you hope uh, you've signed something that's going to do well but I mean little did you know really what the kind of extent of something like that worldwide I mean it was just a phenomenon wasn't it? Oh, it was, it was, I had, I'm, of all the acts I've worked with over the years, I'd never seen anything happen quite like this. And it was hard to explain to the girls themselves because um, they were brilliant. I don't think guys would have ever worked as hard as those girls did. They went all around the world. And when you needed them to go and do an MTV performance in Stockholm or something extra, you know, they would do it. And Simon was great as well. He was really... On it. I remember going to have a meeting with him. He was in hospital for some small operation and, and he got me and the girls in together to talk to them about, you know, doing, and they were absolutely knackered because they'd gone around the world um, uh, a number of times and it was just said, look, we just need a little bit more off you. We just need a little bit more off you to do this. And, you know, would you go and do that? Um, and so it was quite remarkable. I mean, the, Ashley Newton and I had discussed how we were going to start start them, and there was no real history of, um, you know, the, the, one of those great unwritten laws of showbiz, music, whatever you want to call it, was that girls don't, you know, girl groups don't really sell records. And uh, up until that point, there was probably an element of that if you took out the Supremes or Martha and the Vandellas. But, they, you know, it was like a pop girl group had never really sold records worldwide and um, so it, Ashley and I wanted to start them abroad to get them you know credibility and so at that time Shampoo had been quite successful for EMI and they'd started them in Japan and we thought well let's start them in Japan and that's where really the Spice Girls started we did a we did the, put the single and uh, we started it out in you know building them up via via japan and but when when we had the hit in england and i've got to say all three of us uh, who were running virgin at the time were a little bit worried about wannabe being the first single um because it was a playground chant but the girls were, were definitely convinced that was the one and so we 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 obviously went with it and um Oh my God, I remember seeing them the first day they went off to do some local radio promo. They were going off to BBC Radio Oxford or something. And it was about, I came in at seven in the morning and they were all getting coffees from the canteen and going off on a minibus to, to, to go and uh, do this radio interview. And they were so excited because they were like a coiled spring. They'd been waiting for such a long time to, uh, to get out and promote and they were brilliant. I mean, I, you know, I've been lucky over the years. If I think of the artists that I've worked with, be it Phil Collins, be it Meatloaf, be it uh, the Spice Girls, be it, you know, all 
all the best acts were those who were prepared to really, you know, go out and go beyond what was needed to promote their art, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, like I say, working in the industry myself at that time and seeing it, I mean, I think another plus, and you mentioned that they, um, you know, how they went about things and they wanted that to come out, of the, out as a single. What about Simon Fuller and his input? Because Simon, well, uh, they probably didn't even realise at the time what they'd been able to land with management. Because, I mean, it, it doesn't come much better, does it? The guy's a genius. And he is a brilliant guy to work with because he listens um, and he delivers. And I think, you know, you, I, I, I kind of think you never have a great artist without a great manager. I mean, if you look at Michael Lippmann, look at Paul McGuinness and stuff, it's no secret that, that those acts, like, fulfill their potential. Because, you know, you have to be able to work with the record company executives. I think what I see from those times, Paul, is, is the advantage as well with the Spice Girls. You wouldn't call them a music act. They were full-on entertainment. But yeah. they worked with music uh, people at the high end of the record companies, and I mean you, Ray and Ashley, rather than, with respect, going and working with some accountants and lawyers at some other label. So I think it was the perfect marriage, the Spice Girls. Yeah, no, I mean, Simon, I remember going out with my wife, with Simon uh, for dinner one night before, I think we just signed the girls and he said, well, well, let's go out to dinner to celebrate or whatever. And we sat with him and he was listening to our ideas. We were listening to his. It was a great team that got the the, the girls were very lucky because they got they got a uh, they got a team uh, who were really working to the, you know to their best. Um, and with Ray, he was a great marketeer. With Ashley, um, he he helped really helped them hone and make the records. And I was able to push the button and get get everyone. Uh, clued up not only in the UK but around the world so um, but it was very very exciting but I did live live for four to five years of getting up in the morning and getting all the the, the national papers because it was like <gasps> oh my god what have they done now or what what story have they got on them and there was always something I mean it was it was I mean you know it was the Beatles of the of the time because girl power and everything the influence they had it was it was the time still of physical uh, releases uh, you know so you put out 12 inch versions you put out cassette versions you do this you do that we knew uh, you know we would build up the radio and the video interest we'd have smash hits behind us it was it was a very exciting time to be in, in a record company and um, now a lot of these things are more hidden with social media and, and different types of trickery, I suppose. Did I say trickery? <laughs> uh, yes. I don't think I did. Did you say trickery? <laughs> um, but you know that we knew how to work records. I mean, I can remember being away one Christmas on the beach somewhere, I'll say it's Antigua, and waiting <laughs> for the charts to come through. And it was like, it was the time we got the, you know, three number, three Christmas number ones in a row. And it was like, I was walking up and down the beach, like, oh my God, will we get it? Will we, won't we get it? And uh, it was just brilliant. I mean, you, you walked with a real spring in your step. And it was nice to get uh, plaudits from people just to say, great job. And it was a great job. Simon, though, was, was the glue who kept it all together. 
and it was it was a pleasure working with him. And I think the way he's he guided Annie Lennox's career, uh, you know, without overselling her, and they made great videos and everything. Um, now I think he's a he's a very measured man. I mean, when Simon said to me, the girls were off and running, and he knew that they probably. Um, you know, how long the career would last, they'd burn themselves out at some point. And I remember him bringing in a guy and, uh, you know, they, they, they did Cadbury's cream eggs and they did this and they did that and he brought all this. And I thought, Simon, you're going to overkill it. You're going to overkill it. But he, what he did, he brought so much money in for the girls. I mean, the one story with the girls, which is, uh, was quite remarkable, I was going to work one day and I came around Chippers Bush Green and there's a McDonald's on Shepherd's Green. And I, and this was before, long before we'd la launched the girls. I think we just signed them and we were just getting started. And I saw on the front window of McDonald's and Shepherd's Green, I saw this thing saying Spice Burger. And I thought, <laughs> the Lord has arrived. And I thought, so I rang up McDonald's and I said to them, I see you're launching this thing called Spice Burger. Well, we've got this group called the Spice Girl. And I went up to uh, McDonald's offices somewhere up in North London. And I remember walking in and this shag pile carpet and seeing all the pictures on the wall with the, with the uh, you know, best team leader of the month award and, you know, someone who sold more burgers than anyone else. And I went to see the marketing director and I told him the story about Spice Girls. And I told him what was happening. And I told him, I said, they're going to be enormous. You know, you know maybe there's something we could do together. And he looked at me like I was a teddy boy and um, sort of virtually showed me the door. So I thought, I thought, I wonder where that guy is now. Yeah. You know, because he missed such an opportunity. Um, but it was things like that. But, I, you know, over the years, my, my, my skills, of anything, has come from um, really working with groups on the road, um, listening to their, um, their moans and groans, uh, working, you know, with the likes of fly posters to make sure we got the best fly posters spots around London. Uh, marketing generally, Jake would always give me enormous grief if we didn't get the best page in the NME when we were taking an ad. He'd scream at me and, and whatever. Um, but I learned learned it by the seat of my pants and. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that that sort of, you know, you learn by your own mistakes as well. I made loads of mistakes. I made loads of mistakes. You know, I just think of the acts we could have signed at Stiff that we never spoiled. <laughs> and I remember oh, being in Dublin and, part, and not thinking that much of you too at one point. On this week's show, we were talking to music executive Paul Conroy about his vast and plentiful career. And just to bring you up to date with Paul's recent activity, as in Wikipedia, I'll read this. Conroy now resides in Henley, Oxfordshire, and Gozo, that's in Malta. More recently, Paul has acted as a consultant for Universal Music on issues related to catalogue artists and the setting up of the website You Discover. And he's also consulted for leading advertising agencies in placement for music and various commercials. He's also involved in a possible Netflix series, I can't tell you much more about that, where he'll act as executive producer. Insider Insights is a regular weekly feature in Moments That Rock. It's where we talk to behind-the-scenes people in the music industry and let them share their stories. More next week.
The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. You just bought a home in the suburbs, but no one told you about all the birds, specifically this one, who seems to be calling out Roy. Roy. But who exactly is Roy? And why doesn't he ever respond? Maybe Roy is just bird speak for save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto. I guess until Roy answers, we'll never know. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 